Well, good morning, everyone. I want to invite you to join me, First Kings chapter 14. We'll pick up where we left off last week in God's Word. As you turn there, uh, I want to have uh, the kids' attention for a minute, okay? So, I want to give you something to listen for. You're going to hear the story today, a story that we've been hearing about King Jeroboam. We're going to hear some more about him, but in this story, uh, I want you to listen because there's really a simple question that, that the Bible's asking, and the question that the, the Bible's asking is, is, is Jeroboam looking for God, or is he looking for what he can get out of God? In other words, does he, does he want God, or does he want something from God? As you listen for that, I want you to think about how, how might Jeroboam answer that question? But here's the other thing. How might you answer that question? When you're with your parents at lunch, y'all can talk about that, okay? Now, as we look to God's Word, as we prepare to look to God's Word, let me pray for us. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we, we thank you for your Word. It's a hard Word we come to today. But it's a word that you have for us. And though it brings conviction, it's a word of mercy that points us to Jesus. And so I pray that by the power of your Spirit, we here today, through your word, would see Jesus. And would love him more dearly. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Dear friends, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, fell sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise, and disguise yourself, that it not be known that you are the wife of Jeroboam, and go to Shiloh. Behold, Anijah, the prophet, is there, who said of me that I should be king over this people. Take with you ten loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him. He will tell you what shall happen to the child." Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. Now Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were dim because of his age. And the Lord said to Ahijah, Behold, the wife of Jeroboam is coming to inquire of you concerning her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus shall you say to her. When she came, she pretended to be another woman. But when Anijah heard the sound of her feet as she came in at the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another? For I am charged with unbearable news for you. Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you leader over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, and yet you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart, doing only that which was right in my eyes. But you have done evil above all who were before you and have gone and made for yourself other gods and metal images, provoking me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring harm upon the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male, both bond and free, in Israel. 
and will burn up the house of Jeroboam as a man burns up dung until it is all gone. Anyone belonging to Jeroboam who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. And anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. For the Lord has spoken it. Arise, therefore, go to your house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave, because in him there is found something pleasing to the Lord, the God of Israel, in the house of Jeroboam. Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who shall cut off from the house of Jeroboam today. And henceforth the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water, and root up Israel out of this good land that, it, that he gave to their fathers, and scatter them beyond the Euphrates, because they have made their Asherim, provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned and made Israel to sin. Then Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Terzah. And as she came to the threshold of the house, the child died. And all Israel buried him and mourned for him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Ahijah the prophet. The rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he warred and how he reigned, behold, they are written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. The time that Jeroboam reigned was 22 years, and he slept with his fathers, and Nadab, his son, reigned in his place. This is the word of the Lord. So, once upon a time, I flew airplanes. Now, they were small, they were slow. We have others in our congregation who fly big, fast airplanes. I was not one of those. Um, But I dreamed about them. I wanted one of those airplanes. And so, I paid particular attention one day, long before going to seminary and pursuing a vocational call to ministry, I was talking with this man who was serving in another ministry, and he flew airplanes for that ministry. And I thought, that sounds cool. How do I do that? He responded by saying, Psalm 37.4 tells us, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your hearts. I heard those words like one hears a fortune cookie. I thought, I've got my answer. If I just delight in the Lord, I'll get what I want. What do you think I wanted? I wanted an airplane. I wasn't thinking about the Lord. For me, He was was a means to an end. I was trying to use Him to get what it was that I really desired. Can you relate? What is it that you are desiring. Maybe it's not an airplane. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's the health of a loved one. All of those are good things, but they're not ultimate. When we make those good things ultimate things, we lose sight of the true prize. The true prize is the Lord Himself. This passage 
It reads pretty hard. It feels hard. It is difficult. But at the same time, with all the difficulty of this passage, it is, I believe, actually fairly simple. And in the simplicity, it both convicts and encourages us. This passage, when we, when we look to it, we see that Jeroboam has a desperate problem. And, and when faced with that desperate problem, Jeroboam comes up with a pretty manipulative solution. Last week, when we looked to Jeroboam's story, we saw his true colors. Jeroboam was and is a sinful idolater. He did evil before the Lord. But even idolaters love their children. And Jeroboam's child, Abijah, was very sick. Now, we've got hospitals, we've got emergency clinics popping up everywhere. Within the past year, there are two new ones in our own community. When our children are sick, we have places to go. Jeroboam had an emergency, but he had no emergency rooms. And so what was he to do? And with that question, we, we need to pause for just a minute. We need to pause and remember the, the saga that we have been hearing about in Jeroboam's life as we've made our way through 1 Kings. That saga has been Jeroboam pursuing after sin and the Lord sending his prophets to speak the word of truth over Jeroboam in a call to bring him to repentance. So what we saw and heard last week, and if you remember last week, I said that the word of conviction is always also a word of mercy because when the Lord speaks His word to us, He speaks it drawing us back to Himself. Now, in this text we have another opportunity for Jeroboam to repent and to return. To repent of his sins and to return to the Lord, but instead he chose to disguise and to deceive. It's clear in this text that Jeroboam, he didn't want God. He wanted to manipulate the system. Regardless, though, of those actions, regardless of his attempt at manipulation, on some level his actions indicate that he had an awareness of God. Does it seem strange to you? A sinful idolater who's, who's worshiping other gods would actually seek to hear from the Lord? He's proven that he doesn't believe as we would describe belief. He's certainly not walking with the Lord, and yet he wants to hear from the Lord. It reminds me of the saying, there are no atheists in a foxhole. When the shooting starts, when the emergencies come, we will seek help from wherever we think it might come. The whole story of Jeroboam shows his misguided view of God. Now, now first, he, he sent his wife to Ahijah, 
the prophet, saying, He's the one who said of me that I would be king of the northern kingdom of Israel. But Ahijah, he was just a messenger. A good one, but a vessel. It wasn't Ahijah who declared that Jeroboam would be king. It was the Lord himself. Jeroboam was looking for something. But he goes looking to the messenger. And yet he feared he wouldn't get what he wanted if that messenger knew who it was it was really asking. And so he disguised his wife. In denying or in disguising his wife, he's making a theological statement of his own convictions. He denies the omniscience of God. He denies that this God that he's seeking to hear from is actually smart enough to figure out that it's his wife in disguise. How strong a God is that? It's the God that Jeroboam has concocted. What is he really looking to hear? What is he looking for? He's looking for a fortune teller, somebody to read his wife's palm. Tell him what's going to happen? Or is he looking for intervention in his child's sickness? When we read the text, it's not altogether clear. But either way, regardless of what he's looking for, Jeroboam is proving that for him, Yahweh, the Lord, is not a personal, relational God. For Jeroboam, the Lord is a set of gears and pulleys and knobs meant to be twisted and pulled and turned all in an attempt to manipulate this God so that Jeroboam can get what he really wanted. One writer says, Jeroboam wants the help of the Word in the emergencies of life, but not the rule of the Word over the course of his life. Again, can you relate? But all of us need to be reminded, the Lord is never detached from His Word. And so through the prophet Ahijah, as the story goes on, we hear the judgment of God. He's our God. He, he will not be manipulated. He will not be mocked. We see that. We see the judgment in this text. And sometimes we read texts like this, texts of judgment. And, and in our minds, we, we focus on the Old Testament God of wrath. But when we focus on the Old Testament God of wrath, do we ever pay attention to the sin that brought about that wrath? Make no mistake. Whether we are in the Old Testament or in the New, sin is always a serious matter. Again, last week in 1 Kings 13, we read the seriousness of Jeroboam's sin and his refusal to repent and to return. There in chapter 13, verse 33, we, we heard this. After this thing, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way. The Lord kept calling him back. The Lord kept mercifully calling him back, and he refused. Understand, Jeroboam was not an innocent bystander. Neither was his wife, and neither were most of his children. His sin 
Their sin was great, and we must never minimize the seriousness of our sin before a holy God. Now, in the court of law these days, before the judgment is pronounced, before the sentencing is given, the, the indictment is read, the, the charge. Make sure that we're all clear. What is the issue at hand? The same is true here in the text. Ahijah is the messenger of God, and, and he presents the charge before Jeroboam. We see it in verses 7 through 9. As Ahijah tells Jeroboam's wife, Go tell Jeroboam, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Because I exalted you from among the people and made you leader over my people Israel, and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, and yet you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart, doing only that which was right in my eyes, but you have done evil above all who were before you and have gone and made for yourself other gods and metal images provoking me to anger and have cast me behind your back. What Ahijah is saying, what the Lord is saying through Ahijah is that this sin of Jeroboam's is ultimately a sin against grace. God is saying, I exalted you. And I entrusted the kingdom to you. I even gave you a model for how to lead the kingdom. King David, you forsook it all. You received grace and yet you despised it. Not only that, in this indictment we see very clearly that this is a relational sin. That sin is always Relational, the sin of idolatry, the sin of Jeroboam, the sin that, that the northern kingdom of, Eve, the, of Israel would continue to embrace. It was the sin of idolatry, and idolatry is spiritual adultery. Understand what grace is. Grace then and grace now. The Lord our God, He enters into a covenant with His People, That covenant is a marriage-like covenant that demands exclusive devotion of both action and of heart. But by his idolatry, Jeroboam is showing that he despises that exclusive relationship. And on top of all of that... Here in the text, he's showing that he thinks he can actually control the Lord. That's the indictment that's before Jeroboam. It's the indictment that is before us. And so in verses 10 through 16, Ahijah speaks the word of the Lord, pronouncing a threefold judgment. First, his son, Abijah, will die. I want you to understand something. This is not a judgment on the Son. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but this, this pronouncement is not a judgment on the Son. It is instead a rejection of Jeroboam's attempts at manipulation. It's first. Second, the Jeroboam's dynasty will be overthrown. 
his family will die a dishonorable death. And we'll see that come to fruition in the very next chapter. In chapter 15, verses 28 through 29, it'll all take place. Third, the northern kingdom, Jeroboam's kingdom, will be stricken and scattered. Verses 15 and 16, the the kingdom will be taken away and ultimately it will be wiped out. Because of Jeroboam's sin and because the people followed Jeroboam in his sin. That's the danger of a leader's sin when the people actually follow that sin. Now again, we hear all of that. And, and in our hearing, is, is our focus on the mean old God, God of the wrath? Or is it on the evil of sin? The evil of sin that is ultimately a rejection of our relational God of grace. We are creative in the ways that we minimize sin. Sometimes we think of it as just a case of naughty little fun. We think of it that way when when we uh, laugh about certain cities that we nickname Sin City. And the cities go on to make that nickname a part of their public marketing campaign, inviting us to come and participate. But how about when someone betrays our relational trust? How about when someone else makes a mockery of our relational commitment to them? In those times, we recognize sin for what it is. Rejection. And when we try to use God not for a relationship with Him, but for what we think we can get out of Him, ultimately we are rejecting Him as a person. And that rejection is sin. And it is serious. And it brings consequences. And we see those consequences in this text. But as clearly as we see those consequences, we also need to see something else very clearly. That not only is our God a God of judgment, but He is also a God of hope. Maybe you're, you're asking, where's the hope in this passage? It all just seems so dark. What about Abijah? Why did the child have to die? There are no two ways about it. This passage is difficult. None of us want the child to die. It doesn't seem fair. But let's also understand this. The text is real. And suffering is real. Suffering happens in this life. And nowhere in Scripture does God promise His people that they will be exempt from suffering. Any theological construct that would tell you that is false and from the pit of hell. Quite the contrary, God tells us suffering will come. And He is shaping us through it. So could our struggle with a child dying be an indicator of our focus? Is yours an earthly focus or a heavenly one? Is 
you consider this text, consider this. Could the child's death be a mercy for the child? It appears that Abijah is the one in this story who has hope. Verse 13. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave, because in him there is found something pleasing to the Lord, the God of Israel. What does that mean? Something pleasing within the child? What could be pleasing within the child? And where is the hope in that? The New Testament gives us some context and tells us what that might mean, not what it might mean, what I believe it does mean that there was something pleasing in this child. We first look to Romans chapter 8, verses 7 through 8. There the Apostle Paul writes, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. To be in the flesh is to be living in the inborn nature, the sin nature that we all inherit from our parents and from our first parents. And with the sin nature, we cannot please God. For that to happen, something external must happen. God, by His grace, must reach in and remove our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. He must be the first actor. It is all His grace. It is all Jesus. And apart from Jesus, we cannot please God. The New Testament goes on. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him with the new heart. The heart of Jesus. We are given the gift of faith. What pleases God? True, dependent, heartfelt, childlike Faith. And where does that faith come from? Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Faith is not a work, brothers and sisters. Faith is not the, you becoming so clever that you could figure it all out. Faith comes from the Lord our God as a gift of His grace. And with that, the Lord our God is pleased. True faith, saving faith, God-pleasing faith is a gift. And that faith is always relational. We look at this text and we can contrast Jeroboam with his son Abijah. Jeroboam is like the child who hears the ice cream truck going through the neighborhood. You know the jingle. The child runs out to the truck not having any desire for contact with the driver. He just wants the ice cream cone. That's Jeroboam. But his son, Abijah, is like the child who hears his daddy's car door close at the end of the day and runs outside because he cannot wait to be with his father, to enjoy his father. Saving childlike faith is relational to the core. And so what does this faith look like in us? How is it experienced? 
in and through union with Christ. That union with Christ, again, is the gift of God. As we receive the heart of Jesus, we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. We are cloaked with the righteousness of Jesus. And we are given the spirit of Jesus that we might grow in union and love with Him. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. I know I'm taking you to the New Testament because we've got to understand the old in light of the new. There we read, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Friends, true hope, it's not found through manipulation. It's not found by turning the knobs and pulling the gears. True hope is found in relationship with Christ in Christ. And so let me briefly offer two points of application as I try and connect this text, the life of Jeroboam, to our life in Christ. First, parents, maybe you're reading this text and fear is starting to come over you. Fear of wondering, how is my sin going to bring judgment on my child? Any parents ever wonder about that? How am I perpetuating a sin struggle, a sin cycle, and future judgment on my Child, if that is you, let me share with you the hope that we have through our union with Christ. And it is this. In Christ, your sins are forgiven. In Christ, you are clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. Does sin have earthly consequences? Yes. It absolutely does. But in Christ, we have freedom from shame. Parents, you're going to sin. We all struggle with that sin. But parents, when we sin, are we hardened? And do we run in hiding like Jeroboam? Or are we repentant and returning to Jesus? Your children, they don't need your perfection. They don't need your personal record of righteousness. Because when we hide from them our sin, trying to put before them a clear, crystal clear record, we are setting them up for failure. We are building for them an unattainable bar of self-righteousness. Your children do not need your perfection. They need your embrace of your need of Jesus. They need the gospel. Appropriate honesty and Christ dependence break the generational cycle of sin and judgment. Parents, that's what our children need. In Christ, embrace the hope that is yours and share that hope with your children. Second, let's be honest. Jeroboam, he ain't all that different from us. 
He had a struggle. And he tried to take matters into his own hands to fix it. He was a fixer. Are you a Jeroboam? Do you know a Jeroboam? Someone with some awareness of God, but who either intentionally or unintentionally is seeking to manipulate that God to get what you or they want. What's the application? We need to have compassion for the Jeroboams in our life. They're lost, they're hurting, and they're looking. Jeroboam knew he had a need, but he didn't embrace his ultimate need. And in refusing to embrace his ultimate need, he tried to manipulate. Like I said, there are no atheists in the foxhole. And so if your friend is a Jeroboam who is living in that foxhole right now, jump in with them. And in that foxhole, point them to Jesus, point them to the hope that is available in union with Christ. But if you yourself are in that foxhole now, tell me, tell Michael, tell your elders, we'll jump in with you. We can't fix whatever is the earthly problem you're dealing with. But together, we can look to Jesus. Together, We can cast out the shame. Together, we can find hope. As we look to our struggles, not with an earthly lens, but with a heavenly, eternal one. I opened with Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Here's the truth. If we're delighting in the Lord, our desire will be for Him. And He delights to give us that desire. And in the end, that's all that matters. The end of this passage uniquely points to what matters in the end. Verses 19 and 20 form a refrain that is going to begin to sound very familiar as we make our way through First and Second Kings. That refrain begins to form a summary of the reign of the king. It is, in a sense, his obituary. I want you to notice what is not included in this obituary for Jeroboam. His acts, how he warred, how he reigned. Those things, they're recorded elsewhere because they aren't the main concern here. The main concern here in the Word of God is not how he warred, but how he worshipped. And his obituary is found lacking. What will be on your obituary? What is the storyline that you are writing? What will matter then, it won't be the airplanes you flew or whatever else it was from an earthly perspective that you desired. And that day, those things won't matter. What matters is whether or not Christ has been your life. And so is Christ your life? When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him 
and glory. And so, brothers and sisters, let us all delight ourselves in the Lord, trusting that He will give us the desires of our heart. Would you bow with me? Oh, Lord God, as we have heard this day, you are beautiful. Forgive us for merely looking to you for your your usefulness. We praise you, and we ask that you would imprint this word deep on our hearts, that in it we might see and cling to Jesus. Do this, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.